was the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this year's Christmas Campfire 2023 edition. As always, thank you so much to everyone that emailed in uh, to submit stories. There was loads again this year. I've got a bumper edition. Uh, I'm gonna definitely going to be two episodes worth, so... I'm going to release one um, now, obviously Christmas Eve, and the other one I think is going to be um, Boxing Day, which is, uh, for, for those who don't have Boxing Day, would be the 26th of December, the day after Christmas. As always, I, I won't have um, written back to any of you that, that emailed me just yet. I, I tend to, like, like reading the emails, I, I just save them all up and, and read them all in one go. It's it's kind of like a, a, an event in itself for me, like i running up to Christmas, something that I like to just sit down and do one evening. Um, so, yeah, I, but I will email you back, just, you know, say thank you and address any questions you might have had in your original email, um, you know, after this episode's gone out. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for writing in. And, uh, yeah, the funny thing I found this year was um, the amount of people that emailed me uh, calling me Ben as always, um, which just made me realise that I often say that when I start the episodes right and I I, that's, I I didn't never really sort of clocked onto that before <laughs> but yeah apparently I, I, that's the thing um, so I'm not sure if I should stop doing it or not now I feel slightly self-conscious but <laughs> I, I think I'll just continue to do my introductions unscripted as always and just see where it takes me anyway thank you so much uh, for listening this year we're uh, going to crack straight into the stories sometimes I like to you know I've, I've read like MR James stories in the past and things like that. This year, there are so many submissions, I'm just going to jump straight into it. It's Christmas Eve night. Let's settle down to some spooky stories. This first one we've got is from Quentin. And Quentin actually opens uh, the email by saying, For the record, I've never been one to believe in ghosts or the paranormal, and I'm still somewhat sceptical, but some things just can't be explained away. I hope you enjoy this. And he calls this story Bobby. So here we go. This is a true story. There's so much more to the story, but in the interest of time, and at the risk of rambling on and on, I've narrowed it down to these few highlights. In the early 1990s, my then wife and I moved into an old house owned by her stepfather, who had bought it at an estate sale some years earlier. It was located in a suburb of Los Angeles, California, near the LA Harbour. As newlyweds, we were excited to move into our new home. We were given permission by a stepfather-in-law to do whatever DIY projects that we liked, since it was an older home, badly in need of updates. It all started on the day we moved in. We had a moving truck and were making several trips back and forth, moving furniture and housewares. My wife had elected to stay at the new place to begin unpacking the many boxes, while her friends and I continued to take trips back and forth. On one particular run, my wife was standing on the front porch, waving to us as we pulled up. She was visibly agitated and asked if we'd been somewhere and asked if we had seen someone walking away from the house just then. We said no, and she told us how she had been unpacking the boxes, and looked up to see an old man standing in the yard in the front of the window. 
He seemed to be looking into the window, but not directly at her. When she went outside to confront him, he was gone. That was just about the time that we pulled up in the truck. We looked all around the house, front and back, but no one was around. We figured it must have been a curious neighbour and continued to move in. Several days later, I was home alone, pattering about the house, putting various things away, and I caught a brief glimpse of someone in the backyard. Since I knew the back gate was locked, I was pretty concerned, so I went out the back door to see, but there was no one there. When my wife returned, I told her what I'd seen. She asked what the person had looked like, and I described him as an older man with grey hair, wearing a red and blue flannel shirt and jean overalls. She said that this was the exact description of the man that she had seen several days earlier. A couple of weeks went by with no further incidents, so we figured it must have been a curious neighbour. We didn't really think much of it, and then things started happening. One night, I woke up to use the toilet in the middle of the night, and when I walked out into the hallway, several doors on the cupboards and closets were open. I figured it was an old house, and things like this happened. I closed the doors and continued to the toilet, and when I returned to the hall, every door and every closet and cupboard was open again. At first, I just thought I was being pranked, when I got back into the bedroom, I asked my wife if she had done it. I ended up waking her from a dead sleep and she swore she had no idea of what I was talking about. I told her what had just happened and she told me of a few times that she had found kitchen drawers and cabinets open but thought it must have just been me forgetting to close them again. I jokingly said, well, maybe we've got a ghost. Another week or so went by with the occasional open drawer or cabinet. Then we had a housewarming party. As the party was winding down, my five-year-old goddaughter was playing by herself in the back guest room because she and her mother were spending the weekend with us. The three of us were in the front room, cleaning up, when we heard her laughing and talking to someone. We all went to see who was still here, since we thought everyone had already left. She was sitting on the floor, looking up at the wall, talking to someone, but there was no one there. When my wife asked who she was talking to, she said, Bobby. I looked at her mother, but she just shrugged and shook her head, I said, Brittany, who's Bobby? And she said, he's the ghost that lives here. All the hair on my body stood on end. My wife and I looked at each other dumbstruck. She continued with, he likes you, he watches you sometimes. When we asked her what Bobby looked like, she said, he's an old man, he has white hair and a red and blue shirt and jeans with a bib. I couldn't talk, my wife gasped. Brittany continued, he's nice, he won't hurt you, he likes you. The next day, we called my wife's stepfather and asked if he knew the name of the previous owner, the one whose estate he had bought the house from. He wanted to know why, and we just told him some strange things had been happening and we wanted to know if he knew the name. He said he had bought the house from the estate of Robert Smith, that's not a real last name by the way, after the old man had passed away from a heart attack. And he had done so in the backyard. We then told him what had transpired over the past few weeks and he said that the previous tenants had mentioned some strange goings-on a few times, namely that cabinet doors and drawers were coming open. He had just chalked it up to the house being old as well. We continued to live there for several years. Odd things continued to happen. The cabinet doors and drawers were opening all the time, lights flickering, etc. It all became a somewhat uneasy norm, with the occasional big trick as we like to call them. On one occasion, we decided to update the kitchen, which included refinishing all the cabinets and swapping out the crusty old hardware. There was a small shed in the backyard where I kept all my tools. It was a very basic, small shed with a narrow door that was about six inches off the ground, making it necessary to step up and over the raised threshold. 
I'd gone out to the shed and gotten the tools I needed to remove all the hardware from the cabinet doors, including my favourite screwdriver. I set about removing all the doors from the cabinets, stacked them up against the wall and proceeded to remove the hardware. As I set one door down, grabbed the next and turned around, my screwdriver was nowhere to be found. It had only been a matter of seconds since I'd used it, so I asked my wife if she had it, because she was working just a couple of feet from where I was. And she said, no, I must have just misplaced it. To which I responded, how could I have misplaced it? I was just using it right here. I honestly thought she'd taken it as a joke. After a bit of an argument and a completely pointless and ridiculous search, I very begrudgingly went back out to the shed and got another screwdriver to finish the job. The next day, I took the tools back out to the shed to put them away. When I unlocked the door, my favourite screwdriver was sitting on the threshold, just sitting there. Another time, my wife was folding and putting away laundry. She had it all folded on the bed and went to put some things away in the hallway. When she returned to the bedroom, the laundry was scattered around, all messed up. She lost her temper and exclaimed, God damn it, Bobby. The lights flickered. But at least that never happened again. Our friends and family all came, we think, to accept our haunted house situation. Bobby would even make the lights flicker on occasion, just in case anyone was sceptical. We eventually moved out of the house after living there for several years. Last I heard, it was sold to a developer and torn down to make way for a large apartment complex. I have no idea whatsoever what became of Bobby. So thanks very much, Quentin. That's a, a classic way to start with a bit of a classic ghost story. So the next email came to me from Andy. Andy said, to set the scene, and of course, probably like many other tales you'll receive, this happened many years ago, and I remember this like yesterday. I often return to this experience and interrogate my memory. Are you sure this is how it went down? Are you certain you weren't sleeping? Could this have been the result of being tired or an overactive imagination? And each time, I've no doubt. Yes, yes, I can't have been. I don't think so, but perhaps. But then if it was imagination, why is it so mundane? Why did I not imagine something more spectacular? The players of this tale are me, 12 or 13, my sister Laura, 11 or 12, my brother Matt, 9 or 10, and my parents, who were as old as the hills, or so it seemed. I'm probably the same age as them now, actually. So, to pick again at the thread of imaginative kids, at round about this time, my siblings and I were all about the paranormal in general, and the X-Files specifically. I remember nights gazing out of my window in Lewisham, looking out for UFOs. I mean... Those lights might be unidentified, right? And devouring books about monsters, psychics and all the other mysterious phenomena. This was somewhat to the consternation of my parents, who were more of the religious and conservative variety, but they had long given up on protesting against the evils of ghouls and demons and had little choice but to get out of the way and let us enjoy these things, but also roll their eyes and critique if they were in the living room whenever Unsolved Mysteries was on. In other words, we were primed, and we had the kind of credulity that you can only have as a preteen. All that being said, I still stand by the events of this story. Every year, we'd have a family holiday somewhere, usually France, but eventually also Denmark or Jersey. On our French holidays, we'd stay in a rented house somewhere in the countryside. This would put us into direct contact with a different culture and lifestyle to that of urban London. There was one year, a few years before when this tale takes place, where we made friends with all the cute rabbits a French farmer kept in hutches. We'd feed them vegetables we saved from dinner and stroke their fluffy fur through their mesh. Only one day, we found two were missing. We hunted high and low for those lost bunnies, our parents hoping we'd not notice them having been skinned and prepared for the soup hanging in the kitchen window. Generally, 
we all look forward to these trips. We wouldn't really have the chance to spend so much time together as a family. And actually, even though throughout the rest of the year, this wasn't always true, conflict between us was rare and we enjoyed each other's company. These two weeks represented an oasis of peace, with great food and new experiences. This story actually takes place in what I believe was the last year that we went to France. If not the last, the last but one. As usual, we're staying in a house in a village in what seemed to be a converted farmhouse or barn. I assume this because there were pieces of farm equipment hanging on the walls here and there, including a wooden scythe in the dining room. The trip started as normal. Morning visits to the boulangerie to buy fresh bread and croissants for breakfast, followed by a trip here or there. A few days into the trip, over breakfast, Laura mentioned that she'd been hearing noises after everyone had gone to sleep. You might imagine that, seeing that us kids were huge fans of the paranormal, insofar that the paranormal might have a fan base, we would take her at face value. But on the contrary, Laura could be a bit of an unreliable narrator, let's say, so we just kind of dismissed it. But she offered the same story the next day. And the next. And then the next. She might have been a bit full of it, but she'd never shown such dedication to a bit before. Suffice to say, I at least, if not anyone else, had my interest piqued. A quick word on the layout of the house. The ground floor, as I recall, was an open-plan kitchen and dining area with a separate lounge space. There were stairs leading up to the second floor. The second floor had three bedrooms in a kind of L shape. Matt's room was at the top of the stairs, next to the bathroom. You had to walk down the corridor a little to get to the bedroom I shared with Laura, and our parents' bedroom door was immediately outside and to the left of ours. If you came out of our room, you need only turn to the left and their door was right there. So this night... Laura and I decided to stay up to ghost hunt. She was delighted that someone was taking her seriously and I was keen to get one step closer to becoming a fox moulder. Or perhaps a Dana Scully, but one who believed. Did I think I was going to see anything? I don't remember. Nor do I remember how we passed the time after we'd gone up to bed. We would probably have read, chatted or complained about something Matt had done that day. But what I do know is that my mum came up to bed at about 10 or 10.30pm, as usual. We heard her footsteps thump, thump, thumping up the wooden stairs. She moved into the bathroom. We heard her brush her teeth and then the plod and creak of her footsteps on the wooden floor up to the corridor, past her bedroom and directly into our room. It was about 30 or 45 minutes later when my dad came up. Again, we heard the creak and thump of the footsteps on the staircase, this time preceded by the clicking of light switches as he turned off the lights and the sound of the key in the front door, locking the only way in or out of the building. Into the bathroom he went, and then a couple of minutes later, we heard him also move down the corridor, open his bedroom door, and then the creaking of bed springs as he also turned in. So that was it. All five of us were in our beds, in a dark, locked house, in the middle of the night. How long did we have to wait? Ten minutes? Twenty? Thirty? I don't remember it being long after my dad had gone to bed, but that's when we heard it. Distinct footsteps on the staircase combined with a jangling like the sound of numerous keys which had been fastened to someone's trousers. Each time they took a step, the leg nudged the keys making the rattling, jangling sound. There was no way anyone could have come in without us also hearing the sound of the front door unlocking. Yes, it sounded like keys, but no keys had been used to come into the house. Thump, jangle. Thump, jangle. Up the stairs the footsteps came, not pausing at the bathroom or at Matt's room, but continuing directly down the corridor. Plod, plod, jangle. Plod, plod, jangle. By the sound of the footfalls, 
I could judge the walker to be heavier than my mum, maybe about the same weight as dad. The footsteps continued to come up the corridor until they reached outside the doors of my parents and Laura and I. And then, nothing. The doors which were all shut remained so. Laura and I remained quiet, waiting to see what would happen next. Now, the next thing is something only I experienced. Both Laura and I heard the footsteps. We confirmed at the time and afterwards that we heard exactly the same thing. But as I looked up at the ceiling, I saw a pair of eyes looking down at me. For less than a minute, I would say, because I snapped my eyes shut and rubbed them just like when a cartoon character can't believe what they're seeing. The next time I opened my eyes, there was only the dark ceiling above me. And that's it. That's the story. As I said, nothing especially exciting. No throwing around of stuff. No disembodied voices. Not even a ghostly apparition. Not really. I don't count the eyes, as I can't say for sure that wasn't just in my own mind. It was just a few footsteps. But I know they were definitely footsteps. Not just the settling of floorboards. I would say that this doesn't happen in a sequence, nor is accompanied by a distinctive jangling sound. The holiday ended not long after that. Maybe even we left the next day. It's funny how I can remember the events of that night in clear detail, but the fallout is hazy at best. But then again, it's almost a 30-year-old memory now. Sadly, I can't validate or check it with my sister as a few years after that, she was tragically killed. Ironically, I think her death made me deeply cynical about the possibility of paranormal events in the universe, and studying psychology at university even more so. It was certainly the death now for any remaining religiosity I had, but also a lot of it started to seem fanciful in the face of unrelenting reality. How could I marry this cynicism with my belief that I do also think I experienced something unexplainable? People are inconsistent, I guess. All I know is one night when I was about 13, I heard someone, something, who couldn't have been be. So thanks very much for that story. It's funny, you, I, I think you're probably, um, you must be around the same age as myself, um, because as a teenager, I was into all of those things as well. I used to watch all of those same programs and I was exactly the same, um, you know, obsessed. Well, still am really, but you know, obsessed with the idea of ghosts and the paranormal and maybe one day getting to see something or, you know, all of that. But I used to absolutely love all those shows. That that, that kind of mid-90s era was absolutely gold for so much paranormal television. If you're from the UK, you you would possibly remember Strange But True. But, you know, with satellite TV around the early, late 80s, early 90s, there was a kind of big influx of American television. So so things like The Outer Limits and, of course, The X-Files was just gold in the mid-90s. Anyway, it just kind of, that just kind of reminded me of that. But thank you very much for your, for your ghost story. Uh, the next story comes from uh, Anonymous. Uh, and Anonymous says, I have a ghostly story from a stay in Greece. My friend's family had spent many summers building a beautiful new house on a small island in Greece for their ageing mother, my friend's great aunt, and we'll call her Aunt Kay. She'd always dreamt of retiring to Greece in a grand remote home, However, sadly, before the project was completed, she passed away, putting the construction on hold, never to be revisited again. It stood as a skeletal structure, all the walls, floors and stairs, but no glass in the windows, no water, no electricity and no furnishings. At 18, me and my friends saw in it the perfect place for a month's getaway, nomad style, saving us from the expense of accommodation. We'd wash in the sea, eat with the locals and sleep on roll-out beds. And that we did, and it was one of the best holidays ever. Apart from the fact that Great Aunt Kay was still there, haunting the building. And each of us had a unique encounter with her on that stay. 
A shared feeling of being watched was instant for those first few nights. And to me, it felt like a simple curiosity of the spirit, harmless eyes in the walls. The nights began to feel stranger and stranger, and by our fourth night, our friend told us over breakfast her experience. She'd been awoken by a cold hand pressing her back firmly. She could feel each finger from a distinct hand, freezing cold in contrast to the hot, humid night. As there was no glass in the windows, I chalked that up to a cold breeze and a half-asleep mind. Although the next night, in the room I was sharing with another friend, I woke up to his screams. I turned to watch him sat up, shuffling backwards in fear and pointing into the darkness of the room. I saw nothing, but his fear was real and he was definitely seeing something. After coming him down, he began to describe a cold chill and then a blinding white light whereby a black figure of a woman stepped from. He said he saw no facial features, no clothes, only a black silhouette reaching out to him. He was baffled that I did not see it as well. Slowly, great aunt Kay grew even braver, appearing during the day. Whilst another friend was changing, she was horrified to meet a black figure in the doorway, still and stealing the bright sunny rays that lit the house like some black void. In a blink, it was gone. Then from the window, a small swarm of bees came into the room, following her as she ran through the house screaming. I later saw a flash of black across the doorway as I sat in the front garden whilst my friend still hid herself from stingers. We were all truly frightened. At this point, we started calling the spirit by her first name and attempted to make a joke out of it. On our last night, alone on the balcony, my friend whose family had built the home looked out as the sun was going down. And then... Someone began to gently play with her hair, lifting it from her face and touching it for a few minutes. She kept looking outwards, whispering a soft thank you, assuming it was one of the fellow ladies on the trip, only to turn around to find that no one was there. She reached to find her hair had been braided into a loose plait, and she felt a strange feeling of motherly warmth. I do believe after all of these years that she meant no harm at all, only to see who may be staying in her home. We later went down to the beach, collected rocks to paint to leave behind as a thank you to the spirit for the stay in our home. So thanks very much, Anonymous. That last bit about the plaiting of the hair is about as freaky a thing as I could imagine happening to me. And if that had happened, I'm not sure I would have been brave enough to A, continue staying there and B, have a have that feeling that, oh, you know, it's okay. I'm sure she was just looking out for me. Yeah, no, I would have, I would have bolted for the door. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. So the next email comes from someone called N. It did have a name on an email address, but they signed off just with N. So I'm going to err on the side of caution and assume that's how they would prefer to be known from this story. And so, yes, uh, this one comes from N. And N says, I've been subscribed to and have been listening and enjoying for quite a few years now, which is a brave enough uh, chore in itself. So thanks very much. Every time Christmas campfire season rolls around, I think to myself I should write up my little story and send it over. This year is finally the year I get around to it, in time to actually make a submission. Yes, thank you very much. So, here we go. My personal ghost story is set in the early 2000s. I worked as a nursing assistant in a rehabilitation hospital. Almost all the patients on the ward I worked on were either elderly or in hospice and needed more supportive care than their living situation could provide. The ward had four main halls, each with a daily rotating team of nurses and CNAs attending to patients. We'd have our hall assigned on ward during shift handoffs, where we would also get the details of the patients on our assigned halls. Any special needs, changes in treatment plans, new patients, or patients that had left us, either by going home or, quote-unquote, going home. 
My very favourite patient, far and away, was B. B was a long-time patient and a firecrack of an older lady. She'd box-dyed, vibrant red hair, always in a bouffant beehive. She dressed daily in neat tracksuits and embroidered sweatpants, paired with those baby animal graphic tees so popular at the time. Full Ted hose and immaculate sneakers. She wore jewellery daily and always had her nails freshly painted in a pale pink seashell shimmer and bright lipstick applied, all things that were unique and set her apart from the vast majority of her patients. During transport in a wheelchair, she would beep beep and bop people in the back of the knee with her walking cane if they didn't get out of her way as quick as she would like. In short, B was truly one of a kind and absolutely unforgettable both in personality and appearance in a sea of grey and sickly elderly folks who rarely wore more than hospital gowns and slippers with pyjama bottoms. We weren't supposed to, but I did angle my way onto getting assigned B's hallway as often as possible because I genuinely enjoyed her company. After a couple of years working at the hospital, I'd gone on a nearly two-week vacation and told B I would be back soon and to tell her all about my escapades. We often gossiped about the shenanigans I got to as a young woman in my early twenties with little to no responsibilities. I had a wonderful vacation and came back refreshed and ready for work. My first handoff, back from the vacation, I had decided I'd do whatever I could to get assigned to B's hall. At the conclusion of handoff, with no mention of B, I asked her if she was still on hall C, and if so, I'd really like to be assigned hall C that day. My supervisor apologised and said that she forgot I'd been gone for so long and let me know that sadly B had passed away a full week before. I was genuinely sad, but working in a hospital setting with the elderly it was not altogether unexpected. I pulled myself together and threw myself into the morning tasks. Late that day, I'd been unable to take a single break until lunchtime and was absolutely bursting. As I hurried to the break room to use the restroom and snack some food, I saw B sitting in her wheelchair and waiting in the doorway of the patient dining hall, awaiting for transport back to her room. She looked directly at me with a look of recognition, smiled, winked and waved her arm in her special B way. I brightened, waved back to her and thought, oh, I'll have to stop by B's room after a shift and catch up. I can't stop now. And I was simultaneously happy to see B and absolutely enraged that my supervisor would have got patients mixed up and thought B had passed away when she had not. Or even worse, maliciously tell me my favourite patient had passed as a cruel joke. Either way, I was pretty heated and when I ran into my supervisor not three minutes later, I gave her a piece of my mind. How upset I was that she would tell me that B had died and how it was careless and cruel. My supervisor finally stopped me mid-rant and asked what on earth I was talking about, because B had most definitely passed. She said she had attended to B's body herself and made the calls to her family. I absolutely insisted that I had seen B. I had. I know I had. I saw her as real and solid as any other patient and I'd even interacted with her. My supervisor and I circled back to the dining hall and did quick rounds through all the halls to identify whomever I'd mistaken for B. Of course, there was no one that matched even remotely B's description and clothing. I don't have a great resolution to this story, other than that even though I am extremely sceptical by nature, I'm absolutely sure that I saw B wave goodbye to me that day. There's some other strange and unexplained things that happened at that hospital, but this is the first and by far the most dramatic experience I had whilst working there. Thanks in advance for reading. I look forward to hearing the spooky tales in the Christmas campfire episode. Yes, and thank you too, uh, N. Uh, your story actually really reminded me of um, uh, an experience for myself. Uh, I, I used to know, and um, when I used to cut hair, um, 
as a hairstylist. I I I had a client who who very much uh, B sort of reminded me of. She was a a, a fantastic old lady in her nineties, and uh, her husband had passed away, and I think he'd possibly left her a fair bit of money, um, or or just together they'd had a fair bit of money, and she was basically like. Um, I think she kind of knew that she was sort of coming to the end of her days. And so she just uh, was, spent her time travelling around uh, like the world, basically, and just having a great time. And she was really glamorous and kind of a bit crazy as well. And her dress sense was completely eccentric, kind of like uh, B. And uh, yeah, just reminding her, she was great. Anyway, this story's not going anywhere. It's just... Uh, thanks very much for your story it reminded me of her she was she was a great client to have um yeah always, always hilarious stories in that way that sort of people of that age can they sort of uniquely have that skill don't they anyway thank you uh very much for your story and uh yeah your recollection of uh of forbidden history grisly ghosts monstrous cryptids and harrowing folklore dominate japan's history and culture Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. So this next story comes from Becca. Uh, and Becca says, this is a true tale of my family. A little background, my little sister is four and a half years younger than me. In between us, there was a set of twins that didn't make it through the birth. So, to the story, my parents divorced when I was seven years old. They're civil and still friends. My mother had fallen in love with a woman and left with her. We lived with our father, but we saw our mother once a week and every other weekend. This woman our mother was with was incredibly abusive, both physically and mentally, to both my mum and myself though she thankfully favoured my sister, so she was spared. One day she'd attacked my mum and was coming up the stairs to get to me in my sleep. My mum had three large stone decorative portraits hung on the wall up the stairs, and they'd been up and secure for years. But at this moment, one of them decided to fall onto the woman. Me and my sister slept blissfully through this event. The woman had minor injuries, but she didn't proceed on her attack. Another day, as she was going down the stairs to attack my mother, one of the glass under candle holders on the wall exploded without warning, with glass flying everywhere and into her face, and once again stopped her attack. These are just two of such events that I know of. When my mother discovered I was also abused, she left the woman, and we had restraining orders put out against her. After the woman was gone, I know of one more such occurrence. My sister and I shared a bunk bed, with her on the higher bunk. One night, my mum was in the living room downstairs, and we saw the landing lights flickering erratically. Thinking that we were playing with the lights, my mum came upstairs to find us both in our beds. But my sister had fallen asleep in her dressing gown, with the cord wrapped tightly around her throat, and she was being strangled in her sleep. My mother, of course, ran to rescue her in time. The lights didn't flicker again after that, 
but my sister has found that every dressing gown that she owned ever since, the cord's mysteriously gone missing. When we were discussing these events, my younger sister, four at the time, informed us that there were two ghosts named George and Gemma. George was a poltergeist moving things around, whilst Gemma was not. George was apparently often by me and Gemma by my sister. She never said they were our twin siblings, but that's what we believed. Now older, my sister doesn't recall any of these events, but they still live strongly with me and my mother. Every now and then, we still see unexplained movements and flickerings, even when we are far from home, and we politely say hi to George and Gemma. So thank you very much, Becca. And this next one is from Anna. And Anna says, I'm a big fan of your podcast. (laughs) Thanks very much. And I have a spooky, but also kind of nice story to share for Christmas Campfire. In 2018, my partner's mum passed away extremely suddenly of a blood clot in her lung. Living in Australia, my partner David and I got on the first flight we could to Edinburgh. Needless to say, it was an awfully traumatic time for my partner, who had also lost his dad at a young age. When we arrived, his sister, now his only family, asked if David would like to see the body of his mum. He had seen his father's body as a young child and it had left him pretty scarred, so he declined, instead wanting to remember his mum full of life. On the day that his sister went to see the body, David was feeling restless and and kind of guilty for not going himself, so I suggested that we go into one of his mum's favourite places, so that she could feel close to her. It was a beautiful ancient graveyard, with the remains of many of his ancestors. We arrived at the graveyard and began strolling through the graves, looking for the burial plots of his ancestors. We were not having a whole lot of luck, it was a huge graveyard, with many dilapidated and overgrown plots. So when an old man seemed to appear out of nowhere, we approached him to ask. He looked at us strangely when we said the surname we were looking for and told us to follow him as he knew it very well. We walked along talking, the man sharing that he'd just lost his wife and David shared that he'd just lost his mum. The man consoled him and then asked his name, to which David replied with first and surname and the man smiled. They shared a name, not just a first name, but a surname. He too was called David Crawford, and the wife that he had lost was called Margaret, the same name as David's mum. So there we stood, two David Crawfords, next to the grave of an old woman named Margaret Crawford, who, of absolutely no relation, had lived a long, full and happy life. The old man smiled and gave David a hug, whispering that what matters is the relationships that we have on earth, the memories we made with those who had left us, and the future generations we are going to bring into the world. Before leaving, he hugged me as well and said, take care of him, health is the most important thing we have. Those words gave me goosebumps and they still do to this day when I tell the story. As David had had a long ongoing health battle which still worried me and the words seemed heavy. David and I hugged and the man walked away. We looked back a little while later and he disappeared. It was a big graveyard but he was too old to walk that fast and we joked that maybe he was a ghost. Whilst the whole experience was incredible and moving, when we returned to Australia, David was rushed to hospital with shortness of breath, and later they found a large blood clot in his lung. To this day, he says he would have shrugged off the breathlessness and not gone to the hospital if it wasn't for losing his mum, and maybe we would have lost him and the future generations that we were to raise. Was he a ghost, an angel, or just a sweet old man who saw two young lovers with the world in front of them? I hope you enjoyed this weird story. Still a favourite of mine to tell around the campfire. All the best, Anna. So thank you very much, Anna. It was a, it was a, as you say, a, a, 
a, a story with a nice twist, uh, which I guess is good for Christmas. And the next episode came from Gavroche, uh, who strangely um, also has links to Australia, which is weird because Australia is quite a small uh, listener base for the podcast. But uh, yeah, got two emails in a row. Uh, so yeah, so this one is from Gavroche, who says he's a high school teacher in Australia and has a story from my teenage years. He says it's absolutely true. You can ask his mum. <laughs> so here we go. The years of the mid-90s were my chance to be a frustrated teenager and I took the opportunity seriously. I was into skateboarding, rap and graffiti, but growing up in a concreteless small fishing town in Queensland, Australia, exacerbated my despondency. With the turmoil inherent in belonging to a large blended family, initially an only child, then the youngest of three, then the third oldest of ten, every chance to get away from the house was relished. My temper would often bubble up with my situation, and I would find myself arguing with my mum and stepdad, the latter feeling like he had to be stern with me both to man me up and assert his dominance over a petulant teen. Not surprisingly, my two older step-siblings left to live with their mother, but with no ties to a biological father, I was trapped. One evening, I was fighting with my parents over something suitably insignificant, the dishes or something, when I stormed off to my room in the most hot anger. I sat at my small homework desk and drew in my sketchbook, drawing being my main escape and talent. I drew out my turbulent emotions onto the page, an evil grinning demonic figure whose lanky lithe form was in an attitude of burning the world. I was a little shocked that I produced something so malign, but the callous toothy snarl on the gaunt face reflected the height of my angst. Spent, I closed my book and left it on the desk and climbed onto the top bunk, now mine with my older stepbrother recently gone. I escaped my horrible world by diving into the land of dream. I awoke around 2am. The house was dark. I'd missed dinner, no doubt, due to the anger of my parents, and I immediately knew something was wrong. The room was cold and clammy, and, and no sooner had I identified this, a swirling gust began in my room. This was no sleep paralysis, as I clenched my eyes shut and turned my body towards the wall. My blankets were billowing and my hair was blowing over my face. I prayed to Jesus to stop this, if he was in the neighbourhood and listening, and promised all kinds of life changes in exchange, if he was interested in the offer. The whirlwind continued and I sensed that the vortex was in the centre of my room. Eventually, the wind died down and I was left panting and afraid. I planned my next move, jumped down off the bunk and hit the light switch. I summoned my courage and in one action did just that. To my horror, as the room blazed into light, I was greeted by my sketchbook, open now on the floor at the page with the grinning demon leering up at me, right where the vortex would have been. Revulsed, I tore the pages from the book, and a few extra pages for good measure, lest my pen indent the hideous figure further, grabbed a lighter from the kitchen cupboard and snuck out into the garden, where I found an empty flower pot. I crumpled the paper and burnt it in the still night. I then crushed and scattered the ashes and trod on them, hoping to obliterate the foul image. Sweaty from the whole ordeal, I re-entered the house and made my way down the hall past my lit bedroom to my parents' room, where the door stood ajar into the darkness. I gingerly knocked and called out to my mum, surprised that she presently answered. I sheepishly said, I'm sorry, and she replied, It's okay, go to bed, we'll talk in the morning. Regaining my composure, I toddled off to bed and slept well for the rest of the night, unaware of the terror that my mum would relate in the morning. I arose and dressed and grabbed the cereal from the kitchen cupboard 
Again, apologised to my mum as she organised the primary school lunchboxes for my little siblings. She then told me of her experience of the previous night. They'd eaten dinner and watched TV and then turned in early. My dad's a fisherman and gets up around 4am to go to work. Sometime during the night, my mum said that she had awoken with a sense of dread. My parents' room is situated on the right side at the end of the hallway, with the doors located in such a manner as to enable them to peer from their bed through the door into the hall and into my little sister's room, where she could have been sleeping restlessly, tossing and turning in disturbed dreams. As my mum looked up at her from the pillow, she noticed a figure, dark and ill-defined, as if made from shadow, leaning over her as she tossed. As soon as she felt the twinge of horror, the figure, still leaning over my sister, turned its shadowy head to face my mum. She couldn't breathe and the air grew thick and cold. She started to panic and prayed fervently. She must have been more holy than me, for the sensation abated and all grew calm. With sweaty brow, she got up and in the dim light checked in on my sister, now sleeping peacefully. She returned to bed and tried to calm her mind. Of course, my stepdad had slept through the whole thing. Ten or twenty minutes later, weariness was again beginning to induce her to sleep when there was a sudden quiet tapping at her bedroom door. It was me coming to apologise for letting such bad things into the home through my anger. This really happened, and I've no explanation, just a memory. So thanks very much, Kavrosh. That story has uh, reminded me, actually, of... Um, so going back to saying um, earlier when I was reminded of being a kid in the 90s and uh, growing up with like the, the strange TV shows and that, I was also like really into um, books and, and getting books out of the library and stuff. And this is kind of a funny story that I've never actually told anyone, but in the same way that you you had your sketchbook, um, I'd got this book out of the library, right? And it was a, um, it was like an unexplained mysteries book. And it freaked me out. There was a picture. It's kind of a famous picture now of um, the spontaneous human combustion. And it the picture is just of a leg with like a, a bunch of ashes and a stain on the sort of carpet next to it. And it's, it's, it's kind of one of the more famous spontaneous human combustion pictures around. But at the time, it, it just freaked me out. Like this book just really unsettled me. This picture just just was just a bit too much. So I hid it overnight in um, the garage of my parents' house. And um, eventually, I I actually just couldn't sleep with it being down there in the same house. And it just was just freaking me out so much. I took it into the garden to burn it. Obviously, it being a library book, it, it, I, I had to like, I, I ended up having to um, pay like a, a ginormous late fee that was um, for like a lost book or whatever. And the whole time I just had to sort of, you know, say to my parents like, oh, yeah, I just must have left it at school or something, must have lost it. But it, in the back of my mind, I knew the whole time that, yeah, I'd, I'd just taken it outside and burnt it because it just just really unsettled me. Anyway, it's kind of a different story, but it just reminded me of that. So anyway... <laughs> Enough of that. Uh, this next story is from Chad, and he calls the story The Lady in the Mirror. Ten years ago, I'd become tired and frustrated with my stagnant acting career in New York City and thought about leaving New York and pursuing something different. By summer, I'd made up my mind to leave, but I hadn't decided where I was going. A good friend of mine, who had recently uprooted herself and moved to Ohio, invited me to stay with her and her fiancé until I had a better idea of where I wanted to end up. A year had gone by and I found myself working full-time and enjoying a slower-paced life in the Midwest. My parents came to visit several times and they enjoyed the area so much that they decided to sell their home and move to Ohio to be closer to me. They looked at dozens of houses, 
but none of them quite fit what they were looking for. My sister, who had been helping out by looking at real estate online, sent us a listing for a large old home in a historic district not far from the city centre. The pictures were beautiful, but nothing could have compared to seeing this grand old lady in person. The house was clad in quarter-sawn oak, door mouldings, baseboards, floorboards, carved fireplace facades, built-in cabinets and bookcases in the library and china cabinets in the dining room. At the back of the foyer was an elegant winding staircase that led up to a second-floor bedrooms and study. The second floor also had a maid's wing with a nice-sized room, hallway and servant staircase leading down to the kitchen just below. All told, the house was around 4,000 square feet with original woodwork, knob and tube electric and even a car garage, which was rare in 1904. Very little had been updated or altered in this house. It was exactly what my parents were looking for. After several weeks of bank visits and navigating a sea of paperwork, the house was theirs. They bought a German shepherd puppy to celebrate and keep them company in the large house. Shortly after moving in, my mother, feeling a bit nervous, having uprooted and moved more than 16 hours away from the rest of our family, asked me to move in with them. I was a bit reluctant at first, as my mother and I were very much alike which often led us to butting heads and arguing a lot. However, I decided I would move in and help them get the house in order before looking for a house of my own. One night, several weeks after we'd moved in, I was fast asleep in my room when suddenly I heard a loud thud. I sat up in bed, letting my eyes adjust to the dark. When I heard the thud again, I got out of bed and walked across the room, slowly opening my door, and I peered out into the hall and saw the door to my parents' room open. My father popped his head out into the hall and my mother was close behind him. He walked out in his pyjamas and whispered, Chad, was that you? I shook my head and looked around the hall. All the other bedroom doors were closed. And then we heard it again, a muffled thud. And then the sound of someone running up and down a flight of stairs. My father looked over at the door, leading to the maid's wing and whispered, It's coming from there. He went back into his room and I heard him tell my mother, you stay in here and lock the door. When he came back out into the hall, he was holding a handgun. You go downstairs in the kitchen and come up the other way. I quickly ran downstairs, through the foyer, the dining room and into the kitchen. I could hear the sound of running coming from behind the door where the staircase to the maid's wing was hidden. I grabbed a hammer from under the sink and rushed to the door, grabbed the handle and opened it. The second I opened the door, the sound stopped. Dad? I called up. The lights switched on and my dad looked around the corner at the top of the stairs. Baffled, we both checked every door in the house to make sure that they were locked, which they were. The next day, my parents had all the locks changed. We worried it may have been some former occupant or contractor from the bank with a key to the house, expecting it to be empty. A week later, we had security cameras installed on the exteriors and all the locks were brand new. The three of us were sitting in the library, relaxing. My mother was reading a book and my father was playing a game on his laptop. I was scrolling through Instagram posts when, suddenly, we heard a crashing sound coming from the kitchen. The three of us jumped up, thinking that the cupboards had collapsed from the weight of my mother's large china and crystal collection. We pushed the swinging door open to the kitchen, expecting a mess, but there was nothing. The three of us opened every cupboard, drawer and cabinet, We even went down to the basement to see if any boxes had fallen over, but there was nothing. That afternoon, we were out on our front porch enjoying the warmer weather and chatting with our next-door neighbours. 
We asked them if they'd dropped something or heard a crash just outside our kitchen window. Our kitchen window faced their side of the house, which is only 20 feet away. Their answer was no. The next night, I woke up to the sound of knocking. It sounded as if it were outside my window, which I thought was odd since there were no trees to brush against the house. I tried to go back to sleep and then I heard it again. Only this time it came from downstairs. Knock, knock, knock. There were equal time pauses between each knock, which spooked me a bit. I grabbed my cell phone on the bedside table and pulled up the security app so that I could look at the cameras outside. I looked at the camera at the front door and back door. I saw nothing. Again, knock, knock, knock. I threw off my covers and went out into the hall. I looked all around to see if any light was coming from under the doors of the bedrooms or study. I opened each door quietly so as not to wake my parents and turned on the lights. When I was satisfied that all the windows were closed, I opened the door to the third floor, which we mostly used for storage. I made my way up the stairs and looked around the entire room. Again, I found nothing. I finally went back to bed and fell asleep. The next morning, around 5am, I dressed and headed downstairs to make myself some breakfast. As I was coming down the main staircase, I heard what sounded like glasses lightly clinking against each other, as though someone was gathering up dishes. In the foyer downstairs, there was a large, full-length mirror built into the wall and encased in an oak columns and decorative mouldings. To the left of the mirror were pocket doors leading to the drawing room, and to the right were pocket doors leading to the library. Across the foyer, opposite the drawing room, was the dining room. When coming down the main stairs, the mirrors to the right. If one moves to a certain area of the foyer and looks into the mirror, they can see into the dining room. That morning, when I reached that small area of the foyer, I saw movement in the mirror out of the corner of my eye. When I glanced into the mirror, I saw a woman in the dining room. She was slowly gliding towards the opposite end where the swinging doors lead to the kitchen. Naturally, I thought this was my mother, as there were no other women in the house, so I called out, Mother, what are you doing? There was no answer, and I continued through the foyer and turned into the dining room. The swinging door was slightly swinging backwards and forward. I went into the kitchen, a bit angry, thinking that my mother was trying to scare me, and called to her. No one was in the kitchen. I quickly opened the door to the servant's stairwell, expecting her to be hiding, but no one was there. I checked the other doors but they were locked and couldn't be unlocked without a key. Every hair on my body stood up when I processed what I saw in the mirror. My mother wasn't an early riser, nor was she a petite woman. This figure looked like it had a tiny waist and a larger backside that pushed out a bit. It was wearing a long flowing gown or nightdress, which wasn't something my mother would ever wear. Just before it disappeared out of the mirror's edge, it turned its head towards me. There was no detail on the face, but I knew it was looking at me. This frightened me and I ran back through the house and upstairs to my parents' bedroom. I knocked on the door before flinging it open. Both my parents shot up in bed. It was clear that they were asleep. Nevertheless, I asked my mother in a loud, serious voice, Were you just downstairs trying to scare me? I knew she couldn't possibly run up the stairs that fast without me hearing, but I wanted an answer that made sense. You see, I love ghost stories and Halloween, but I never believed in hauntings until moving into this house. The house was built in a wealthy neighbourhood at the turn of the century and several of the houses around were historic landmarks. So I went to the record office and tried to find out who originally lived there and what had happened to them. Unfortunately, I discovered that there was a horrific flood in 1913 that destroyed many records and killed countless people in the area. Just when I'd given up, I was introduced to the president of another historic district. We became friends and 
One day, whilst I was looking through his collection of antique and vintage books, I came across a telephone book from 1920. Sixteen years after our house was built, but the address would surely be in the directory, and so I looked it up through the book. When I finally came across our street, I worked my way down through the numbers. At our address were listed three women with the same last name, possibly a mother and her daughters or three spinsters. But there was another person under that address and phone number that shot chills up and down my spine. Under the names of the three ladies, it was written, and made. I suddenly realised the haunting seemed to be mostly confined to the dining room, kitchen and the maid's wing. A few weeks passed and the knocking came and went. Strange sounds and footsteps came from the maid's wing and stairwell every now and then, but we tried to ignore it. After a while, the sounds seemed to stop altogether. A year later, my oldest sister announced that she was getting a divorce from her husband. She also came to Ohio to live with us for a while and brought her three children. It wasn't long before the haunting began again. One of my nieces had taken the maid's room as her own and shortly after, the running and knocking began again. One night, around midnight, my sister came into my room and woke me up. She accused me of trying to frighten my niece. Naturally, I had no idea what she was talking about. I had been fast asleep as I had to be up very early for work. When I asked her what she was talking about, she told me that my niece had woke up to the sound of aggressive knocking on her bedroom door. When she opened the door, no one was there. Then it happened again, and when she opened it a second time, her shoes, which she had tossed around the maid's hallway haphazardly, were perfectly matched and lined up in front of the door. I assured my sister that I did nothing of the kind and went back to bed. Over the next couple of months, cold spots randomly materialised around the maid's room and our German shepherd would growl at the door. When we opened it to let her in, she would frantically search the hall and room. When she realised nothing was in there, she'd lay at our feet and whimper. Before long, my sister had had enough and took her children and moved back home as soon as the divorce was final. The maid's wing hasn't been used since and shortly after they moved out, it all stopped again. A few years later, during the pandemic, we three became very ill. After a month of being ill, my mother passed away on Christmas Eve. After telling my father of her passing, his health began to decline. He passed away three weeks later. The house fell to me and I still reside there alone with our German shepherd, Gretchen. A few weeks ago, the day after Thanksgiving, I was sitting in our library reading. Gretchen was sitting in front of the fire when suddenly she stood up and growled at the window across the room. I turned my head in the direction that she was looking, just in time to hear a muffled knock, knock, knock. I grabbed my phone and looked at the security cameras, but nothing was there. Again, I heard the same knock, knock, knock. I went around the house to see where it was coming from, but it stopped each time I left the library. Finally, I made my way up to bed. I usually leave my door open so that Gretchen can come and go as she pleases. That night, however, I locked us both in my room and did not leave until morning. Thank you very much for your story. Uh, and as always, with almost all of these stories, you, like, you're a braver man than myself. Um, thank you uh, very much for your story, though. And that is going to wrap up the Christmas Campfire Part 1 for this year. So yes, thank you everyone for your story. The second part, like I say, I'll release in a few days' time. But until then... Thank you so much for listening all year. And thank you so much for your kind support always uh, with the show. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. I hope you have a great day. Um, if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you have a at least get a, a, a day of work to do whatever you please. And, uh, 
you know, if you, you struggle over Christmas, then um, I hope at least it's bearable for you. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. Take care. Sleep tight.